morning, church. Good to see you this morning. Uh, a number of announcements this morning, and um, so we actually have a couple different people helping out with announcements, and so uh, Christine's going to share a few things, Laura's going to share a few things, Joanne is going to share a few things, and then I'll uh, pick up the rest of them. So. And so we're going to do Reading Up Bible School, and we're going to be heading to Utah and have a team going, and it's the end of June, and we're going to do a fundraiser on June 10th for the community garage sales and we need your help and we need um, there's a secret signing sheet on in the foyer that you can talk to me too we need servers for the meal Chef is doing amazing and an awesome meal um, we need you guys to come eat the meal <laughs> by the way we need servers for the meal we also need garage sale attendance and we need 15 people willing to make two dozen cookie bars to two point five ounce steaks and uh, wrap and zip and tie them up or ziploc bags. So we need we need that for that day because we need those. Um, so talk to me or sign up on the sheet. We would love your help for June tenth. Oh, and also bring garage sale items too. If you have those, please let us know. We would um, love to have those. Awesome. Well, I guess it's me then. Thanks for asking for cookies. Um, advertising a community picnic in the park. It's going to be June 3rd from 5 to 7. Um, hope to see you there. Uh, we're going to invite the entire community. We're going to have a couple drawings for free giveaways, um, homemade pool caps, and then a gift certificate to Under Home Roofs. So a little, little help to bring you in. Um, and next Sunday, we could use your help. We're going to deliver cookies door to door. We've done this a few times in the past. We'll try to partner for those. We don't have those full time. Um, and so if you would be willing either to help deliver cookies next Sunday during the Sunday school hour or help bake cookies to be delivered, there is a sign-up sheet to ask for those cookies, the baked cookies in the back. Um, so you're welcome to sign up there or come next Sunday during the Sunday school hour about 30. school over the summer. Um, our Christian Ed team has been kind of looking at different curriculums over the last past year, thinking about maybe changing up what our children's curriculum looks like, and we're really excited um, to, we'll be doing, um, starting this summer, we're going to do the Gospel Project, which is a really neat curriculum that um, through the course of three years, it goes through um, Genesis to Revelation and picks out different stories, and all of the stories point to um, Jesus, you know, it's a Jesus storybook Bible, but um, we're excited about that, and we're going to start that this summer, and Luke's going to be talking a little bit more about our fellowship Sunday that we'll be doing, but that will be um, kind of during our fellowship Sunday time. Um, we're going to be meeting with the preschoolers, so you can see 
grade um, as a whole group. We're going to do that, and then in the in the um, fall we'll start again with you know smaller age groups, but we'll we're going to meet as a big group, and we're looking for some teachers. We have quite a few teachers already scheduled for those um, summer months, but if you would like to try out a new curriculum and um, also, or if you just want to be a helper, we'd love for you to do that. It's a great time, just a one-time, get to know our kids and um, work with them. So let Dot or myself know we have a sign-up sheet for that, and we'd love to have you help us out. Well, the first announcement that I want to do is actually a big congratulations to Daryl and Jessica because they are getting married this Saturday. And so we want to celebrate that. It's been a delight just to get to know them and have them here. Their wedding will be um, this upcoming Saturday here at 3 o'clock. You're all invited. Uh, There's a reception. That's by invitation. But if you would like to come join us for the ceremony, it would be great to have you here uh, Saturday at 3 um, let's see, uh, uh, coming up, we have the Father's Day uh, Church Camp Weekend. We're going to be at Timberlake Ranch Camp again. That's uh, the weekend of Father's Day, so June 17 and 18. Uh, Vacation Bible School, we're getting geared up for that. Registrations are Registration forms are available uh, in the office or online. Um, and uh, still looking for volunteers, teachers, helpers, if you'd be interested, willing to help out with that. Talk to Deb or talk to Dot or, or talk to Lisa, and uh, they'll get you, um, yeah, kind of the information that you need for that. Um, also, summer format. We're, we're, you know, last summer we did something a little bit differently where we kind of had a social time uh, in, the, in the family center, and um, we're going to do something kind of similar to that again this summer, just kind of for the fun of it. It'll be a, a little bit different format. We, uh, I talked with a couple different groups or committees, and we talked about formats, and, and they both like the same one. So if, if you were part of Alpha, this will sound familiar to you. Um, if not, it might be new. But what we're going to do is we're going to meet in the Family Center. We're still going to meet in that 930 to 1130 block that we normally do. But we're going to start with uh, a fellowship time. So it'll be coffee and, like, snacks or cookies or cinnamon rolls, that kind of thing. We'll do that for about half an hour. Then I'll give the sermon. Then we're actually going to split up into small groups, and there will be more discussion. There will be, like, guided discussion, questions, that kind of thing about the sermon. And then we're going to end with our musical worship. So it's a little bit different, um, and we kind of stole this format off off of Alpha. We're just doing it for the summer. But, um, yeah, just something a little bit fun and different. And we're going to be starting that on the 11th, June 11th. So... Um, the weekend before, Kent and Kedron uh, will be in here sharing with you, and then we'll, after that we'll um, start meeting in the Family Center for most of uh, June and July. I think those, there are other announcements, they are in your bulletin, I think those were all the ones that we wanted to, uh, to cover um, from the stage, and so um, I'm going to do a prayer, and then we'll have our offering. Uh, just a, just a remi- just a thank you and a reminder on the offering. I know we had a couple of special projects that we were wanting to do. Both of them, the total was about um, eighteen seven to pay for them, and we're last I checked a week ago, and we were at seventeen seven. So only a thousand to go to finish those off to, for a new projector unit and screen and some new lights in the parking lot. And so if you and a couple buddies just want to finish that off, that'd be fine. I'd be okay with that. And, uh, and just a reminder, just kind of stay on, on top of tithing and offering. I know 
a large part of why we do this is that why I believe God has us do it is because it trains our heart in how we handle finances. And so whether or not you give here or elsewhere or other charities or organizations or that kind of thing, uh, just a reminder to us to keep firm to that. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll get going. Heavenly Father, thank you for a good and beautiful day. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy filling me every day. Lord, we consume so much of your grace every single day. And yet it is infinite. And we are so thankful. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that we can always come before you. Maybe it's a new hurt. Maybe it's the sin that we've done for a thousandth time. We can always come before you. And God, that kind of grace and mercy and acceptance is uh, just beyond our understanding. Thank you so much, God, for how much you love us.
So last weekend, uh, at the end of the sermon, um, encouraged you guys to find an item of worship. Uh, not an item that we worship, but an item that either uh, reminds you of worship or symbolizes worship or, or, or somehow um, symbolizes a way that you worship or, or can even just be used, uh, you know, some day-to-day item where when you see it, um, you think, oh yeah, like that, that helps me worship. And so I've asked about half a dozen people if they would be willing to share with us what they chose and why. And so if that group all wants to come forward, um, we'll just kind of file through. You can use this mic. And um, we just want to, yeah, hear what you guys chose and and why. So um, they're all kind of stalling right up close to the front. Okay, you get to go first. Come on up. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Jacob, 
So mine's kind of like Kate's, it's a splashy thing, but it just reminds me of the outdoors and when I go outside it's really easy for me to be able to worship God and praise Him because of how big the earth is and it lifts me up and I can have great confidence in Him. Thank you. 
and it was so good to be with you. We'll be at the Huron Church on Saturday and Sunday from 3 to 5. Saturday we'll be at the Huron on Saturday and from 7 to 7.30. You can read on the website the place of worship. And Sunday is Father Ed's Young Music Event. And again, you have some kids from Sunday School and Bible School are in the nursery. Friday, Jesus Loves Rome. Jesus Christ and the Bible Class, August 6th through 9th. Our classes are from 8 to 7.30 at the Bible School. Our Friday is with the Methodist Children Women's Conference. And our Saturday is from 5.30 to 9.30. Thank you, guys. I hope that every time you grab a spoon, it thinks about, you think about how God provides for us, feeds us. Every time you see a ball bearing, you think how God bears our burdens. Every time you see birds on a wire, you think they're in church, and I should be too. Um, Every time you pick up a hammer, unless the Lord builds it, we labor in vain. Every time we take a shower, He cleanses us from our sin, and, and His mercies are new every day. I hope your life is just filled with all these average items that just get completely ruined for you so that every time you think of them, your best thoughts are drawn to God and what it is that He has done for us, right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, and that ties in with with what we're talking about today. So, if you've not yet identified an item or a couple items, I would encourage you to, to go home and do that and just... Uh, let that item be a reminder of God's character and His provision for you, uh, so that more and more we we just we see God all around us, right? Which we're not making stuff up; like He's there, it's all true. We just start to see it more clearly um, as we mature. So we are in the Book of Mark. We are in uh, Chapter Seven. And uh, we've been, uh, uh, yeah, just walking through the book of Mark, having a great time. Um, You know, in scriptures, we have four gospel accounts, or four accounts of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we call those the gospels. One of those, of course, being the book of Mark. And so that's what we've been going through. Mark is the shortest of the four gospel accounts. Um, It's also one of the most action-packed accounts. Mark gives us a lot of events and, and miracles and activities one after another, and he just puts them back to back to back. He uses the word immediately, like 40-some times, I think it is. Um, He doesn't spend a whole lot of time on the teaching. He doesn't spend a whole lot of time on the parables. He just spends a lot of time on the activities of Jesus. And one of the things, though, that we see is that we're seeing how the disciples and even the crowds really struggle to fully grasp who is Jesus, and, and what all does does this mean? And uh, and so we, we, we're we kind of following with, with them along through that. And But within all of this, Mark is very simply wanting to convince us that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that the good news is that he has come to, to be the, the Messiah, to, to be king and, and to take away our, our sins and to usher in the kingdom of heaven. So, um, that's a little bit of, of what we're doing. We're in chapter 7, and um, I was going to skip this, this next section, but I, it kind of builds upon uh, the other 
parts or the what I did want to cover. So we're, we're anyways, all that to say, we're going to start in verse one. And let me just read this here to you a little bit. Um, OK, chapter seven, verse one. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they had come from the marketplace, uh, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels uh, and, and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? It is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, in teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. In the next few verses, then, he goes on and he gives a few uh, examples uh, about that. So Jesus and his disciples are out and about, right? They're, they're, they're walking along. Some of his disciples um, are, are eating. This might be the, the spot where, where they're grabbing heads of grain and, and they're eating them, but they're not washing their hands. For them, this was not a hygiene thing. This was a, a spiritual clean thing, spiritual, ritually clean, unclean thing. And so the disciples, so the, the elders get mad and they challenge Jesus and they say, why? Do your disciples not walk according to tradition? And then Jesus gets what we would call kind of rude. He calls them hypocrites, but he did it, so I guess it was justified. Uh, and then he quotes some more a scripture, and then he makes this assertion, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. So in other words, the elders have taken the traditions of man and they have elevated them on par with scriptures. But then Jesus pushes it even further and he says, actually, you leave the commandments of men and you or the commandments of God and you hold to the tradition of men, meaning that they actually held their traditions more important than God's commandments. And then and then he gives uh, some more examples in, in, in that. In the Old Testament. Uh, there were 613 laws that the Israelites were to obey. But in what was probably a, a very well-intentioned act, the leaders of Israel, in an attempt to create a kind of a buffer zone so that no one even got close to breaking those commandments, established a bunch of other laws to, to, to kind of help safeguard those 613. So, for instance, there might be a law that says, hey, take a Sabbath rest. Okay, but now what does that mean? So then the elders establish all these traditions. Well, you can only walk so far, which is why in the New Testament you'll, talk, you'll see a Sabbath day's journey, right? Um, so you can only walk so far. You can only do so much work. There's rules and guidelines around cooking or, or, or that kind of thing, right? Even washing of hands, the law was that the, um, some of the, the spiritual leaders on a certain day, before they went into the temple, they were to wash their hands. Well, then the, the elders said, well, let's just apply that to everyone all the time, everywhere, so that, you know, we kind of create this buffer zone, and then we never, ever get close to actually breaking the actual laws of God. 
Well, what has happened is that you start with this, this bundle of 613 laws, and then you add all this buffer zone and all these other things that get piled on, and the focus had become so much on these traditions and on this buffer zone that they had forgotten and were no longer paying attention to the heart of Scripture, what those laws were, why they were there, and why those were important. Okay? Are you, are you tracking with me? Grant told me I said, I, told me I said I'd say that three times, so I, I need to tone it down. It, it slips out, but we'll, we'll work on it. Um, so it's tradition. So, so, so they, they have these traditions. It's been kind of an interesting thing even just to think about traditions a little bit this, this past week. And um, because here's the thing. For me personally, like, I'm not really a traditions guy, right? Like, in the home, that's great. I think they have great value. But when it comes to work or when it comes to ministry, eh, I'm not really into it. But on the flip side, I'm not really into fads either, right? So traditions are kind of like what we've done in the past, and fads kind of be like, well, what's the future hold? I'm not really into that either. What, I'm, what I really like to know is what's effective. But here's the thing. I think all of us are in agreement on this. And here's why. Because if, as a people group, it really is tradition that were valuable to us, we'd still like plow with horses and knit our own underwear, right? But instead, we drove here, we talk on our cell phones, we push the buttons on the thermostat, right? And we wear the comfy undies. So, really, at the heart of it, all of us, it's really more about what is effective rather than necessarily the tradition. And so the, the honest discussion is really what's effective. When it comes to discipleship of adults, what's effective? When it comes to discipleship of children, a format of Sunday service, what's effective? And sometimes the most effective thing is the thing that we have done for 100 years. So we do it. And sometimes the most effective thing is the, the other thing, you know, like a new projector screen. So we do it. So, but for, for these people, they, they, they've gotten distracted by the tradition. And so you always want to be coming back to what's the core thing, right? For them, the discussion was a lot around this, the, you know, these 613 laws, and they were getting distracted by, by this traditions. But for us, it, you know, I mean, we have the New Testament. What's our core? And, and so we've said we want to do four things. We want to see God glorified. We, we want to praise Him. We want to honor Him. We want to celebrate Him. We want to worship Him. We want others to do the same. We want to see communities transformed, right? Because when, a, when the gospel moves into a community, the community will change because the gospel is that powerful. And if the community is not changing, then, then there's something not quite right. All right? So we want to see communities transformed. We want to grow as disciples. We want to be disciples who make disciples. So it's we who are passionate followers of Jesus Christ, but then we take what we were given and we find a creative way to pass that on to others. And I know that I can never fill your cup, but I can empty mine. I, can, I can't give you everything you need, but I can give you everything I've learned. And then you, you'll have to find the rest of the pieces elsewhere, but I can give you everything I know. And we want to multiply churches. So as we grow, we want to see other communities in rural Nebraska become disciples and glorify God and 
transform their communities. We want to see churches grow nationally and internationally. And so we continue to, to engage with churches at the national and, and international level. And then everything else is really just the delivery method of those four things. And if we do it for a few years, it's a tradition. And if we do it for the first time, it's a practice, right? But everything is just a delivery method for them. Here in Mark, the elders are getting wrapped up in maintaining delivery method, in maintaining legalistic tradition, and they're missing the purpose of, of those things, which was the gospel. All that builds into verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, so this is Jesus talking now, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person by going into him that can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and then is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Those, 13, those 613 laws that God gave the Israelites, those were given when they were first walking through the desert. And almost every one of those falls into about three categories. Either it had to do with hygiene, it had to do with food safety, or it had to do with um, being distinct from practices that other pagan communities were, were doing around them. So, you know, th- this is, you know, this, this group of people, you know, they worship their false god, and as a part of that, they do this practice, so I don't want you to do that practice too because they're doing it. Most everything else revolves around, like, hygiene and food safety. But rather than God saying, all right, look, so we've got these things called bacteria. They're really small. You're going to need a microscope. But then you're going to need some, like, lenses, but you don't have glass. But, you know, and this is where B.O. comes from. And, like, like, rather than to go into all that detail, he says, well, it's just unclean. Don't do it. Right? Which we do all the time with our kids when they want to drive or lick raw chicken. And we're like, I don't just, I, Daddy said so. Right? I, I don't have time to explain this in detail, so we're just going to go with Daddy said so. All right? A lot of these laws in the Old Testament were kind of that. They didn't, he didn't get into biochemistry. But he just said, don't eat the raw pork. Right? Because I forget the name of it, but there's that d- disease that can get transmitted. Those little worms are transmitted from raw pork. If you eat only, I believe it's jackrabbit, so it pulls the vitamin C out of your system and you die of scurvy. Happened to mountain men sometimes. Okay? So if you're going to have jackrabbit, have an orange with it. Okay? But rather than explain scurvy, there's these laws about animals that chew their cud and, and basically it's don't eat the jackrabbit. But they didn't know that at the time. So when they when they hear washing their hands, it wasn't have clean hands. This was they thought it was a holiness issue. And so the Pharisees get upset and they say, "Wash your hands, otherwise we think you're going to become spiritually dirty, spiritually unclean." And Jesus says, "No, no, no, no. It is not 
what you eat. It's what comes out of you. It's the sins of the heart that makes us spiritually dirty. It's the sins of the heart that makes us unclean. And then he gives us a very amazing list, right? Like, 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 don't go to this party, okay? Like, this, there's, this is an impressive list of, of, of things. There's kind of a nuanced thing that happens in this. There's six, or there's 12, maybe 13, because Uberfox might be the intro words, we're not sure. But the first six, maybe seven, are written in plural, meaning that it probably indicates more evil acts, whereas the second six um, are written in singular, indicating that these are probably more um, evil um, thoughts or uh, vices that eventually lead to actions. And I'm, that's in the Greek. I'm not sure how well it, it transfers over to the English, but whatever. Uh, some definitions. Sexual immorality. The Greek word on this is, is um, pornea, which is where we get our modern word for porn. Very broad term, and basically it just means any sexual activity outside of a one-woman, one-man uh, marriage relationship. And the Old Testament felt it necessary to give a detailed list if that wasn't clear enough. And so, um, yeah, there's lists otherwise. But just, I mean, adultery, fornication, prostitution, homosexuality, all kinds of different stuff. Theft, this is clope, so very similar to our word kleptomaniac, which means just basically a love of stealing. Um, murder, um, uh, phonos, uh, so like killing, but also slaughter or to destroy. Um, adultery, very similar to the sexual immorality one, except one of the persons is already married. Um, coveting, uh, greediness, insatiableness, um, exploitation. Uh, and then wickedness is just kind of a generic catch-all term. It's less specific, just all wickedness. Uh, then it switches to um, uh, the ones that are all done in singular, deceit, uh, cunning, treachery, to trick into. Uh, sensuality, uh, so ex- um, just indulgence in sensual pleasure, but probably a focus on the thoughts and what's going on in the mind. Uh, envy, that's kind of a fun one. Evil eye, uh, it would be, a, that's a literal translation, or, or in, it's um, perhaps better translated like envious jealousy or, or just like a real stinginess. Slander, abusive words that damage a person's reputation, including speaking evil of God or man. Pride is arrogance or haughtiness. Uh, and foolishness, one of my favorite definitions, the stupidity of the man who lacks moral judgment. And um, so Jesus gives us a pretty colorful list. And then he tells us, you know what? This is not external. All this stuff originates in your heart. This stuff emanates from your heart. It finds its origin. This is not external things that are forced upon you. These are things that originate and grow out of your heart. James 1.14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. One of the fundamental questions of our day and age is, are our people fundamentally good or bad? Are, are we born as good people, and then we kind of get tainted by life? Or are we born as bad people, but then, you know, like just somehow a few people do bad things or good things? But Scripture repeatedly says that we're sinners and that we're born that way. Psalm 51, surely I was sinful at birth. Psalm uh, Romans 3, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. 
time and again, Scripture tells us that sin originates within us. And on that point, Scripture strongly disagrees with the popular opinion of today, right? Popular opinion is that we are inherently born good, and then maybe just some bad stuff happens. Several years ago, there was the movie Catch Me If You Can uh, that came out. It was actually a really good movie. I would, yeah, I, you should watch it sometime. I think I had a good time. Now I'm trying to remember if there are any bad parts. Before I just recommended everyone to watch it, I don't know, check the ratings somewhere. I enjoyed it, and hopefully I won't regret that statement. But at the end, they, they, they interview a couple of the actors, and uh, like Leonardo uh, DiCaprio's one, and then I don't know if it was Steven Spielberg who directed it or Tom Hanks or something. But the, the, the storyline follows the true story of Frank um, Abagnale Jr., who before his 19th birthday had successfully fo- um, forged or faked millions of dollars in fake checks. He had... Um, he posed as a Pan Am pilot, a doctor, and a legal prosecutor, all before his 19th birthday. And what was interesting is that in these interviews, because some, like the director and the, some of the actors had met this guy and chatted with him, I was intrigued at how many times they said, yeah, he's a good guy, just kind of some bad stuff happened to him. It's like, really? Millions of dollars? Someone took a hit on that. When you forge millions of dollars in fake checks, a lot of people were deeply hurt by that. But their conclusion was, ah, just a good guy. Just some bad stuff happened to him. In fact, it, the, the argument really today is that if I can convince you that I was born this way, that it's somehow tied to my DNA or to the fiber of my being, then you can no longer call my actions bad because it's simply an expression of who I am, right? Because with the premise of, I am born good, then all of my actions and my behaviors are now justified because they're simply an expression of who I am. Because I was born good. And people will do that on big things like sexuality, and they'll do it on day-to-day things like sarcasm. But they'll just come back and they'll say, well, that's just who I am. And everything gets attributed to personality rather than character. Sin originates in our hearts, in the deepest place within us. And yet the popular narrative is that we're all inherently good people who, who don't do wrong and aren't really sinners. It used to be that, that North American culture had, had just a higher awareness of our sin. Okay? That is gone. Guilt in North America is gone. And, and any places where a little bit of guilt remains, we, we, we combat it with self-help books and or medication. Because no one wants to be guilty. And as much as I want grace to permeate every part of, of your daily life, it's okay every so often to just be broken by our sin. Not because you got caught. That's a different kind of thing. But just to be broken because we start to recognize how it hurts God, we recognize how it grieves the Holy Spirit. We start to recognize how much it hurts others, even though we lie to ourselves and say it doesn't, and even how much it damages others. John Wesley has this great quote, and he once said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And then he goes on to say, 
of those hundred preachers was endure. One of the challenges for us, I think, um, is is just kind of some of the dynamics of small town, rural town, in in dealing with our sin issues. Um, I grew up in rural Midwest, grew up in South Dakota, right? But since moving back here, pastoring here, really tried to understand just kind of rural America at, at, at a deeper level, just our culture and, and how we operate and, and kind of some of the rules that, that we operate with. And, and it's kind of one of those things where when you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's true. But first first figuring it out and being articulated, that, that's kind of the hard part. Um, but one of the unique things, I think, about rural America is how we handle our dirty laundry, how we handle our sin. Um, when I lived in a larger city, I was part of a men's group. Uh, We met in the morning. And it was interesting in some ways how easy it was to share my dirty laundry with these guys because I knew I'd never see them again. I never see these guys during the week. Sometimes I bump into them on the weekends. And if one of us ever leaves church, leaves the church, I'll probably never see him again. And if one of us ever leaves town, I know I'll never see him again. So in many ways, it was a little bit safer and easier for me to share some of my struggles or pains or, or hurts or dirty laundry with these guys because I'd never seen them again. But in smaller town, in rural communities, relationships are much more multi-layered and they're much more long-term, right? And so it's, you know, you'll, you know, it's not that, that you'll never see this person again. Like, this guy is your fourth cousin, and you buy your automotive parts from him, and you're on the church board together. Just amuse me here. Show of hands. Not including, like, children in the house. How many of you can look around this room and identify a relative? Show of hands. Don't be stingy. Yeah, see, see and some of you aren't even putting up your hands, right? There's a lot of hands in this room. Right? Like, this, this is, there's a lot of family in this room. And the other thing, too, just in, in regards to relationships not only being multi-layered, but also even just long-term. I mean, Joe was with a group of younger gals, and they started joking how they're all going to rent out a wing of the nursing home together. Because they know that they're probably going to die in this town. Because when you marry a farmer, you marry the land, and you just know that you're here forever. What all this comes to mean is that we instinctively know that that word of mouth is strong, that relationships are long-lasting, that there's multiple relationships, and that if word ever gets out that I struggle with, that could haunt me for a very long time. I mean, how long does it take a guy to redeem a damaged reputation in this town? The mere fact, I don't know who this gentleman is, and I probably shouldn't laugh about it, but when a guy in Henderson takes out a quarter-page ad telling everyone he does not have Alzheimer's, I don't know if you remember that. I don't know if he has it. But but that family felt so compelled to combat this idea or this, I don't know if it was true or false information or what, but that he actually goes to posting an ad in the newspaper? To say this isn't true, I, you get, like some of you guys are, are remembering it, I, and I, I don't know if he has it or not. I sometimes joke that if I was really good friends with him, I was going to text him and be like, "You posted that multiple times. I don't know what he's talking about." 
but I don't know him, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do that. I thought that would be uh, inappropriate. We'll edit that out if you're still not. All that to say, to, to truly experience healing and possibly freedom from our sin often requires godly community and scripture. But in small town, we face the obstacle of having to overcome the shame of being found out. And oftentimes for us, the shame of being found out is greater than the possible freedom that we might experience. And so we we choose secrecy, keep it locked in the closet, and hang on white-knuckled grip until death, and hopefully no one will find out, rather than possibly having this client found out, having to share this with another individual, and having to work through it, and possibly experiencing freedom from it. For us to experience freedom from sin is going to require the Holy Spirit, it's going to require Scripture, and it's going to require godly community. Like, we need that, that, just that conviction, that comfort, that counsel of the Holy Spirit. We need the knowledge, the, 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 the correction, the edification, the encouragement from Scripture, and we need the, the, the support and the accountability and just the edification of Christian community to overcome a lot of this stuff. But part of our reality is that's really hard because we instinctively know that in small town, word of mouth will make you or break you. And so we're really nervous about engaging in that kind of community. I've said this before, I'll say it again because it's so good. But good community can only happen when you and I understand ourselves to be the biggest consumers of grace in the room. And we recognize that we are the biggest consumers of grace because we recognize that we are the biggest sinners in the room. And so every day we just consume just epic amounts of grace. And when you understand yourself as someone who consumes large amounts of grace every single day, it makes you way more generous in extending grace to others. But when you think that, well, I just use up a little bit of grace every day, like one, you're not reading your Bible and understanding some realities, but two, it makes you really stingy in handing out grace to others. For community to work well, you have to understand yourself as the biggest consumer of grace. And if you think that you just sin a little, like give your spouse or your kids 30 minutes of uninterrupted time and see how that goes, right? Like they'll, they'll speak some truth into your life. The other thing, just on all this too, remember as you consume your grace, remember that we're not just dealing of sins of commission, we're dealing of sins of omission. Sometimes we sin by doing stuff. Sometimes we sin by not doing stuff. And, and, and my fear is that actually it's the sins of not doing where we're actually really racking up the sins. At the heart of the gospel is this critical message that Jesus loves us. Uh, that we're separated from God by our sin, but, but yet we have this free gift of salvation and eternal life. This gift of God with us and Holy Spirit, but it's only available through Jesus. But you cannot understand the depth and the magnitude of that gift until you understand the depth and the magnitude of your sin. If I forgive you a debt of $5, no one's really impressed. If I forgive you a debt of $5 million or $5 billion, now I have your attention. Given my own sinful nature, this list that Jesus mentions, I am capable of any one of these, and you are too. 
And in fact, between breakfast and driving to church, we probably checked off a lot of them as a group. Like we're not going to do that tally, but I bet we've checked off quite a few. This is not the list that others commit. This is my list. This is what I do. This is what I'm capable of. And this is my predisposition. My yearbook should have said, you know, ran track, did drama, and voted most likely to sexual immorality, theft, murder, coveting, wickedness, foolishness, and preaching. with two things. Um, one, I, I want to give you just a list of some practical things to do in dealing with sin, just because I think it's really good to have kind of a practical game plan come Monday. But, but also, as we transition into this final song, e- e- even more so than normal, I really want you to consider this final song simply an extension of the sermon, and let it be of the prayer of your heart. Okay? So just a few practical things, but also in this song is, is just a time and a space for us to come before the Lord and lay some of these things at his feet. A few practical things, and I, I got these from someone else, but they're really good. If you have the opportunity, make a big change. When, when, when you're dealing with a well-rooted sin that you're trying to get rid of, if you have a chance, make a big change. Maybe it's moving. Maybe it's starting a new job. Maybe it's a long vacation. Sometimes our ruts have, have just have too much power, and so we need to break out of that rut temporarily to be free of the sin. Make sure that you surround yourself with the right people. Not just because you don't want to surround yourself with people as sinners, but or, or that, that people that kind of lure you into it, but, but rather people who inspire you to really become a better person the next day. Don't give yourself the opportunity to sin, right? I mean, sometimes it's just... It's idle times, and so stay busy. Run from things that aggravate your sin. Joseph ran away from from the wife of Potiphar, not because he was so strong, but probably he knew he was so weak. So get rid of the things that that are in your house or in your life that agitate or or, kind of instigate this sin in your life. Run away from them. Maybe there's certain friends you need to not hang out with as much. Maybe it's cable TV or the Internet or certain foods or certain parts of your job or your job in general. If possible, get involved at a deeper level at your local church. Because when you sin, if you're the only one that feels a burden of that, we kind of get used to that. But if other people are looking towards you, then we, just, we feel that a, a lot better. I remember one guy used to say... Um, uh, men are like pickups. They just they drive straighter with a heavy load. And so get more involved in church. Never give up. God's mercies are new every day. Worship team, you may start coming forward. Uh, and finally, and most importantly, don't accept, don't quit accepting the grace and forgiveness of God. You need to give yourself freedom for, for a fresh start. And Maybe you're frustrated because it's like the 10,000th time that you feel that you've had to repent from this, but just keep going. Don't give up and, and never stop accepting God's grace. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing some words. Let me read some of these to you. Come out of the sadness from where you've been. Come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. 
Come find your mercy, O sinner, come near. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Heavenly Father, we want to start by just recognizing the truth that we sin. We sin a lot. Until we're with you, it's just it's it's a part of our life that we struggle with. And we accept full responsibility. We're not blaming this on anyone outside of us. We say, I am responsible for my thoughts and my actions and my conduct. So Lord, we just want to start in that in that place of recognition. And then Lord, we want to move into a place of confession, of repentance where we not only apologize to you for grieving your Holy Spirit, for hurting those around us, Lord, but but once again, we commit to turning away from that, turning away from those things and walking towards you. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit. Lord, there is good community here, and Lord, we want to commit the bravery of engaging others in dealing with our sin and not hiding behind shame anymore. Lord, you offer us life, peace, joy, healing, reconciliation. Thank you. 
Deutschland, die da 